Hello, and welcome to this week's podcast presented by Freedom Life Church. We hope you find today's message uplifting and encouraging as we dive into God's Word together. If you need any information about our church or this message, please go to wearefreedomlife.com. Now let's get right into it. Amen and amen. Come on, are you excited to be in the house of the Lord? Well, it is a honor and a privilege uh, to be here today. And uh, I'm really thankful. I, I don't think people know, or many people know, that the only reason I started preaching the gospel in the first place is because uh, I heard Pastor Tony at a youth retreat. And uh, he was the first person I really heard that used a lot of humor in his preaching. He was so dynamic. And I was like, I want to do that, you know, with my whole life. And, uh, man, he was just such a, I mean, I think I heard you like, maybe between five and ten times as a student, our church loved him and uh, kept bringing him back over and over again. Every time was more impactful. So you are lucky uh, that he is your pastor. Come on, can you just put your hands together? And uh, I mean, I mean it when I say it. Your ministry has impacted me so deeply. And I think everyone uh, in this room can say uh, that God's hand is on your life. And we are recipients of the goodness of God that you've experienced and expressed all over the nation um, from, from, from so many years ago up until right now. So one more time, can we just put our hands together for your incredible pastor? Amen. Um, let me just start like this today. I uh, come all the way from Orlando, Florida, and uh, I say it's the most magical place in the world. You're like, magic? I just mean magical, right? Because if you don't love Florida, because Disney's there, uh, you don't love love, okay? And uh, so I'm super thankful uh, just for the opportunity uh, to be in different weather. It was getting hot uh, there, and so I'm glad to be here for a little bit. Uh, I have a wonderful family. Uh, I have one wife. Hello, it's 2023. You got to be specific. I have one wife, and uh, that is her there. Uh, that is my bride, Joanna Reeves. We met when we were 15 years old at a Pendale Youth Convention. Someone give glory to God. Uh, I saw her in the audience worshiping and I was like I choose you right like you know thankful uh I love her so much and uh as you can tell she likes dark chocolate hello praise God I'm talking about me <laughs> praise God she would kill me if she heard that I'm sorry uh that's that's Joanna and then we have two beautiful babies uh that is our daughter Charlie Grace Reeves and uh she we her her middle name is Grace because she has increased our prayer life have you ever been so mad you've screamed at a two-year-old okay I have I'm the only one who has lost their cool with a two-year-old. Charlie Grace Reeves, the other day I put her in timeout. I just put her in timeout. I was like, you need to go. You need to go in timeout. And I make her put her hands on the wall. And uh, so she's not touching anything. She's in timeout. And then uh, she looks back at me and she goes, not nice, pastor. I said, whoa, what? I'm like, I am a pastor. And I'm about to send you to see Jesus right now. My wife's like, she's a two-year-old. Calm down. I'm like, all right. So that's Charlie Grace Reeves. Grace is her middle name because she has increased our prayer life. And that is my son. That's Macklin Nathaniel Reeves. His name is Macklin. We call him Mac, okay? Macklin Nathaniel Reeves. Mac means the greatest. Nathaniel means gift from God. The greatest gift from God. What do you, why am I telling you this today? Because me and my wife are really good at naming babies, okay? And uh, if you don't think so, I know someone in here, you've named your son or your dog or someone Parker. It means keeper of the park. So I'm just saying, okay, praise God. Um, 
So someone's like, Parker is a beautiful name. It is. And uh, so that's my family. And uh, me and my wife, we, we have taken the step of faith. We're evangelists. It has been a lifelong dream. And we started a nonprofit under the umbrella of our evangelistic ministry called Reeves Initiative. Let me just say this really quickly. Reeves Initiative, uh, we exist to preach the gospel and to serve foster and adoptive families. Um, our ministry partners with the families in all different types of ways. Specifically, Will, uh, our big initiative right now is sending foster kids all across the nation on spiritual transformation trips. We have about 150 students in the pipeline right now uh, that are waiting on some kind of financial aid to go to a camp, to go to a conference, to go to a college visit or a mission trip. And the reason we do that is because we all know the impact of going out on a trip, not as the one who needs to be served, but as the one serving. And on the, and in those spaces, we see kids' lives radically transformed. We see kids filled with hope. And so we send them into those locations. And uh, man, we also partner with foster families. Like right now, uh, our initiative is partnered with a, with a young lady that we know who's a pastor, who's in the process of adopting a little baby boy from a family uh, whose mom just went to jail. And so we are helping her do that exact thing. And uh, man, it's been so good. God has been so faithful. But I'm not asking you for anything other than your prayers today, okay? For Reeves Initiative, I'm sure, you know, there'll be an offering at the end. That's fantastic. But for your prayers, if you could put that next slide up, um, would you just text Reeves in uh, to that number to join our prayer team? Here's why this is such a big deal. Uh, we only send one to two to three texts a month, just one to three texts a month, updating you on where I'll be and what's taking place in the ministry. This has been a phenomenal year of ministry. We've already been able to help um, uh, 35 students, 34 students actually, 35 uh, hopefully be done by the end of this week or on Sunday, but 34 students we've been able to help foster and adoptive kids. We've seen over 296 salvations already this year. I have been in about 30 services and uh, man, I've already traveled about 72,000 miles and we're not even into the half of the year yet. All I'm saying is this, is we know that we cannot do anything that God has called us to do without faithful people who will pray for our ministry and who will stand in the gap and say, God, would you do it again? You did it here, would you do it again over here? So if you're interested in that today, no pressure whatsoever, you can text that number, join our prayer team, and that will be phenomenal. Last couple things you need to know about me, you can take that off the screen. Last couple things you need to know about me is I am a loud preacher. You're like, are you gonna scream the entire time? Yes! Because when God has been good to you, church, it's hard to be quiet, amen? When God has been so good to you, when he set you free, when he's taking care of you, I mean, it is hard to be quiet. Lastly, you need to know, I come from an African Pentecostal church. Hello, somebody. You, when I say African, you're like, what do you mean African? Like, you, you wear dashikis and celebrate Kwanzaa? No! I'm talking African, like, my mom's like, here is a spear, I will kill you. You know, like that. Like, if you've seen Black Panther, friends, you have seen my life, my story. You know my pain and my glory. I'm telling you. An African Pentecostal home. So emphasis on the African. My mom does not play that. I mean, like, she's the type of, you know, type of lady. She's like, son, listen to me. Like, I told her I was preaching here tonight. She loves Pastor Tony. Right? As soon as I told her I was with Pastor Tony, she's like, oh, my God, I love Pastor Tony. He's so wonderful. Right? Like, just... She is very excited. She was praying over the service. I was like, mom, I gotta go. I'm gonna be late. Like, that kind of, you know... But then also Pentecostal, right? Like I woke up every night, you know, with my mom, with her little hand just shaking over me. I'd wake up every day, pimples on my forehead, just going to school, looking like I was going through puberty every single day, just new pimples because of that anointing oil. You see what I'm saying? Some of y'all don't know about that. But, but church, I'll be honest with you, like 
I learned a lot from my mom. Like, she's the type of, I, this is a true story too, like super Pentecostal. One time we were watching The Lion King and they got to that part where they present Simba. You know, the, ah, whatever they're saying. And I saw, I turned over and my mom was crying and she had her hand lifted. I was like, are you worshiping to The Lion King? You can't do that. That's not okay. This is true. I mean, honestly, she's like, that is a powerful moment. I was like, it's still just fake though. Anyway, so anyway, that is, that is for real. So I come from a Pentecostal home. I preach really fast and really loud. So I hope you can hang on today uh, because tonight, because I really believe God has something to speak to you. And uh, the, the message I'm going to share with you today is one that the Lord has been working out in my life for a really long time. And I'm excited to share it with you today. So if you could today, you know, I tell you that to say, be engaged with me. You can say amen. You can say that's good. You can clap. Um, you can raise your hand and say, that's for me. You can just look at someone and they'll know what's for them. Amen. So uh, let's just have a good time tonight. Ephesians chapter three. Let's jump into Ephesians chapter three. Just going to read two verses today. I'm only going to preach for four hours, not six. And I uh, just believe, I'm not joking. Um, so we're like, how do, how do we leave? Is that the only exit? Um, only... Two verses today, two quick verses, and I'm uh, preaching from the message version today because I believe the man who wrote it, Eugene Peterson, is one of the most prolific uh, philosophers and theologians of our day. Uh, there was a tone in the text that Eugene Peterson has been able to capture. It's one of my favorite translations of scripture, so that's what I'm going to preach from today, um, and if you don't like it, I'm already starting, so. Uh, God can do anything. Someone say amen. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. Glory to God in the church. Glory to God in the Messiah in Jesus. Glory all down through the generations. Glory through all millennia. Oh, Yes. Glory, glory, glory. I love that so much today. And uh, I want to I wanna share from an interesting title, but let me say it like this. When, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, actually more than a couple weeks ago, by the way, when I say a couple weeks, I mean any time before today. Um, so I have no chronological timeline. Uh, actually, it was in the beginning of last year. In the beginning of last year, I'll tell that story first. My uh, mom ran into my second grade teacher. Her name was Miss Biddle, wonderful woman. And uh, Miss Biddle saw my mom in the frozen food section. Come on, some of you know, there's just something special about the frozen food section aisle at the grocery store. My mom sees this lady there. She recognizes her immediately. Miss Biddle, how are you? Uh, you know, they begin to have a conversation. She asked about me, how is Peter doing? He's doing wonderful, my mom said. Peter is actually a pastor. And Miss Biddle said, impossible. Peter? Peter Reeves. She's like, yeah, he's a pastor. She said, that kid was the hardest kid I ever had to deal with in my class. She said, pastor, I'm not going to lie to you, Grace, and I know this is going to make you upset. I thought it would be prison. She's like, that kid, and I know exactly what she was talking about. Me and Miss Biddle had a disagreement in which... We both handled it different ways, okay? Uh, I will never forget it. It was, I was in the second grade. I was talking during class. Can you tell I like to talk? I was talking during class, and Ms. Biddle came over, and she swiped all the stuff off of my desk. Okay. It's that kind of party. So I got up, because my mom told me, you stand up for yourself. You don't let anybody talk you down. Right? So I stood up, went over to Ms. Biddle's desk, and swiped all her stuff. You know what I mean? I had a short arm, too, so I had to like, Ugh. Right? Like I did it, church. And that's what she's talking about. She's talking about the moment that me and her had in the frozen. She's never forgotten it. And uh, my mom said, yeah, you know, Ms. Biddle, she said, God has done far more 
in Peter's life than we would ever imagine. And, and that's the title of my te- the sermon I want to speak to you today is far more living with great expectation. Because here's what I truly believe. God wants to do far more in your family. Come on, far more in this church, far more in your future today. The scripture says that the eyes of the Lord roam to and from the earth looking for someone to show himself great through. Church, why not us today? God wants to do far more in your life. Oh, I read this text and I immediately began to get overwhelmed with the goodness of God. Like, I read this and I thought to myself, where are the Christians that still believe that God can do the impossible? Where are the Christians that still believe that the blessings of the Lord maketh us rich and add no sorrow? Where are the Christians that still believe, oh, God can do anything, that are not afraid to dream, that they don't think anything is too big for God to do? Where are they today? I submit to you, there's, there's a solution somewhere in what I'm going to share with you today. I asked a young man in my ministry just a couple months ago, and truly a couple months ago, I just got done being a youth pastor. And I said to this young man, I said, what are you believing God for? He said, well, I don't know, which saddens my heart. He said, I don't know what I'm believing God for. I said, well, why don't you know? He said, because I haven't seen God do anything. He said, I don't know what he can do. I haven't seen him do anything. And I took that moment I did not attribute any kind of shame or displeasure to that young man. I attributed it to, to myself and the rest of our leadership team. And I began to think to myself and I began to pray, Lord, we are not stretching out enough. And because we're not stretching out enough, because we're not talking crazy faith, because we're not releasing dreams, because we're not talking about visions, the younger generation doesn't even know how to believe or what to believe. Always oh, says it about the Israelites that many of them were living off the faith of the generations before them. See, God was blessing them and they thought God was blessing them because they were doing good, but he was actually answering the prayers of the generation before that. Let that not be our story today. Oh, my prayer is that you would hear what I'm saying today and you would begin to live in such far more faith, such far more for your future, for your family, for your kids, for your mental health, for your purity, that the generation behind you would say, I absolutely am believing God for something because I know what he can do. That young man said, I don't, I'm not believing for anything because I don't know. I don't know what he can do. Can I just be real with you, really frank today, and tell you that the enemy is trying to stop you and I be- from believing it far more. He would rather prefer that you and I live in reasonable faith, that we live in cautious faith, that we, that we live in, yeah, yeah, that makes sense to me, faith. Friends, if it makes sense, there's no faith required. The enemy's trying to get us to a position and a place where he stops us believing in far more, because here's why. Far more is what fueled the generations before us. No, no, seriously. Far more is what fueled them. It's what got them to believe that God could open up oceans, that he could silence uh, the, the voices of those who spoke out against them. It was the, They believed that God could make the sun stand still. They believed that God could do the impossible. They believed that he could raise the dead. Far more was the fuel that they were believing for. Like one of my favorite people in all of uh, Christian history is a man by the name of Saint Ignatius. Saint Ignatius. Well, many people believe Saint Ignatius was the little boy on the lap of Jesus in John chapter four, when Jesus said, let the little children come unto me. Uh, but that hasn't been proven as specifically. We just know that Saint Ignatius was around for a really long time. He was actually the second bishop of Antioch after the apostle Peter. 
And St. Ignatius was fueled, if you read his story, by great faith. I'd like to say he was fueled by far more. Here's the story. The story is that St. Ignatius, and this is true, that he was the first person killed in the Roman Colosseum for his faith by lions. And here's the story. They, they summon St. Ignatius. He's on his way to the Roman Colosseum. Some Christian missionaries intercept him and say, hey, we know how to get you safe. We can get you out of these chains and into freedom. And St. Ignatius says this. He says, you know what? Actually, it's okay that the lions rush upon me. He said, I want the lions to rush upon me for when my blood touches the dust of this earth, it will tell the story of the goodness of God. Like, come on. Far more, you're like, how do you know far more fueled him? Easily. Because St. Ignatius was in a time in Rome where he lived, he was like a, a child and a teenager in Rome when Christianity was spreading, where people were being killed, where churches were being closed and stopped. But then as he began to get older, as he became the second bishop, Rome decided, well, we can't stop these Christians, so we might as well join them. And they made Christianity the national religion of Rome. And actually, whipping didn't stop the church, burning people at the stake didn't stop the church, trying to close the church doors didn't stop the church what did stop it though was when Christians when Christianity became the national religion of the entire state of Rome and Rome now had people who were sold out for Jesus and people who weren't and they could both say I'm a Christian do you see what I'm saying today what killed the faith in that area was a mixture it was people who said I follow God but weren't living in great faith let me say it like this today the greatest enemy to the faith wasn't people who, who despised the gospel and tried to dispose of Christians. The greatest enemy of the faith was people who said, yes, I am a Christian without living a Christian lifestyle. Okay, let me say it like this today. The biggest enemy to you and I today is not who's in the White House. It's not what's going on in our education system. It's not what's happening in the LGBTQ plus community. It's not Black Lives Matter. All these things need to be solved. They are issues in their own right. Can I tell you, it's none of those things today. The problem we have today is people who have said, I love Jesus, but continue to be a part of the mixture. Who continue to say, I love God, but not walk in the ways of God. Can I tell you the problem today is dead, dry Christians that have Bibles they won't read, worship they won't lift their hands to and a God who wants to speak to them that they cannot hear. And St. Ignatius, St. Ignatius steps up in a culture that is viable like that. I'm sorry, in a culture that is experiencing all those things. And he says, I, I want the lions to rush upon me. Whew. He was fueled with far more. It's what powered the generations before us. They believe oceans could open up, that the sick could get healed, that the sun would stand too, that the, they could raise the dead. And this is why I think the Apostle Paul writes Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Because Christians, mind you, maybe I have to read it again, but the Apostle Paul is writing because Christians were living without great expectation. They were no longer dreaming and imagining. The reality of life had killed their wonder and their faith, and Paul is writing to stir up the church to, only, to get to the other side of their holy imagination. Let me say it like this. Paul wants them to get to their holy imagination because he knows on the other end of it is the glory of God today. Far more, far more. I love what G. Ken Chesterton said. He's a revivalist and a philosopher of our pastimes. He said the trumpet of the imagination is like the trumpet of the resurrection. It calls the dead out of their graves. He said the trumpet of an imagination is like the trumpet of the resurrection. It calls the dead out of their graves. And we look at the whole world today, the entire religious scene, and we say, wow, it looks like the church is so dead. It looks like people are so dead. Spiritual life is non-existent. And I suggest to you that the problem might be we're no longer imagining. We're no longer dreaming. 
will no longer sing. If it is in fact true that the trumpet of the imagination is like the trumpet of the resurrection, calling the dead out of their graves, when we look around and see people dead, it's probably because we're not living in holy imagination. Now, when I start talking about holy imagination, people start getting weird. What do you mean imagination? We believe in God. Hello. I'm like, imagination is an important piece of the kingdom. You and I were created in the image of God. We were a part of his imagination before we became a reality. When he formed you and I, listen, the, the scriptures are very clear. Nobody sneaks into the earth. The Lord forms all of us in our mother's womb. The Bible says he knows everything about us, including the number of hairs on our head, even the fake hair. You know, the horse hair for prom? He know about them hairs too. You see what I'm saying? But even though he knows, he's the one that formed us. So when we start talking about imagination, oh friends, it makes sense to me why the glory of God at the end of the text, you hear glory through millennia, glory to Jesus, glory to God. Yet glory happens as a result of those who are not afraid to dream. Okay, this is why, um, or let me say it like this. I submit to you today that the only thing needed for God to move greatly amongst us is people who are not afraid to dream, afraid to imagine, afraid to see what others won't see. Is this making sense to you today? Okay, this is why I love kids ministry. If you haven't served a kid's church, you need to. It will ignite your fire. Ain't nothing more dangerous in the, in the earth than an eight-year-old who loves Jesus. Hello? I am telling you right now, I love kids ministry. Because when I start thinking about far more, one of my favorite things to do is to go into the kids ministry and ask our kids, what, are you, what is God saying to you? I love it so much. What is God saying? The other day I stopped uh, a, a young lady uh, who's in our kids ministry. I stopped her in the hallway. I said, what did God tell you today? She said, God told me I'm going to be the first one to plant a church on the moon. What? Intergalactic church planting? She said it was so much confidence and poise. I was like, I kind of believe her. Like, that's amazing. She had no filter of disappointment. No filter. Like, I don't think God could be speaking that to me. No filter of maybe God didn't answer that prayer over there. She just said what she honestly thought that God spoke to her. It moved me. It moved me. Because sometimes God will whisper things to me that no one has ever seen or thought of before. As he, I'm sure he does with you. And we go, that can't be God. That's too much. Them getting saved? They're literally the person that hates God the most. I don't see it. Doing that over there, being a part of that ministry, serving here, inconveniencing my life. That can't be God. There's another young lady. I stopped her. I said, hey, tell me what God spoke to you. She said, I control the weather. I said, so you're the reason it's raining outside. Little girl, change your life. You know, so I didn't do that. But I just began to think to myself, like, this little girl thought she was in church worshiping the Lord, has no filter of disappointment, and said, yeah, God told me I control the weather. And it sounds crazy until you start reading the Bible, and you see that people call out and say, God, would you make the sun stand still? God, would you send fire from heaven? Lord, would you send rain? Lord, would you dry up the rain? Oh, I know it sounds crazy when she said it, but it's in this book. Far more. I think this is why, listen, I think this is why Matthew 18 is so hard for us to digest. It says, truly I tell you, unless you become like these little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Or in other words, in other words, here's what I think you mean. You got to be okay being misunderstood. You have to be okay with other people not being able to see what God said to you. You've got to be okay with people laughing at you. 
Jesus said, unless you become like one of these, unless you know how to tap into your holy imagination, unless you know how to sit and dwell in the presence of God and think of things you have never seen before, or you will miss what's happening in the kingdom of God. You'll miss it. There's far more. There's far more. I suggest to you today, a freedom that God is inviting every single one of us to does not look like us being able to pontificate upon the precepts of scripture. Brother, I unpack the scriptures. You know, revelations, I know all of it, brother. I can even wrap it to you. No, it's not us learning more so we can puff ourselves up with knowledge, as the scripture says, knowledge puffs up. But I suggest to you one of the most powerful things that God could invite you and I into is the little girl who used to sit on her step and play house with her Barbie dolls. The little boy who would pick up a car and go all around the room. What am I talking about? I'm talking about imagination. You know, I forgot that as a kid, I had a wild imagination. My mom told me, she's like, you are crazy. We were casting demons every way we could pray. I was like, what? My mom's like, do you remember Kenny? I was like, Kenny, I don't, Kenny, who's Kenny? She's like, your imaginary friend. I was like, mom, that makes me sound weird. Like I was that kid that had an imaginary friend. She was like, yeah. And I remember, my mom was like, what you doing? I'm like, Kenny just told a joke. <laughs> She's like, you're sick. <laughs> she said, son, you, you had such a vivid imagination. She said, sometimes, Peter, I would walk into the room. Your eyes would be closed and you'd be going like this. And I'm like, son, what are you doing? You're like, mom, I'm in the Bahamas. <laughs> Come on, some of y'all do that at work. You're like, I'm supposed to be on the clock. <laughs> I'm in the Bahamas right now. She said, son, I used to hate buying toys for you because you would get stuff out of the trash and you would turn it into other things. She said, you had such a great imagination. And I began to get convicted because I was like, man, when did I lose that wonder? When did I lose that faith, that, that ability to imagine? Now all I see is spreadsheet. Like I'm, I just turned 30 and all I hear is taxes and uh, ABC and CNN and QRT and MTV, all these news channels. I don't even know. And all I hear right now is, man, get a 401k. You need a Roth IRA, brother. No more imagination. Only reality has captured my prayers and my faith. I can't see the far more, the far more. Can I read to you just a few accounts of people in the scripture who saw far more? Because here's what I think stops us is that we, we realize what we're saying sounds crazy. Like, like, honestly, I'll tell you exactly what I, I heard the Lord say when I was in my room today praying for this service right after lunch. Went to B-dubs, got wings. Pastor knows the way to my heart. It's wings. And I'm praying. And all I could think about is this church and, I, and that bridge that I had to keep crossing to come back over here. I thought to myself, God, for this entire region. This church is going to be a bridge. I just started praying that into your future. And I started th thanking the Lord. As soon as I came in here, I saw the, all these seats. I said, God, anoint every single one of these seats. Let the power of the Holy Spirit rest on these seats. Let the residue of the whisper of heaven rest on these seats so that when someone sits in them, you could speak to them a life-giving word that would change everything for multiple generations. Can I tell you, the reason I'm preaching like this today is because I believe far more in corporate, or let me say it like this, in corporate legacy than I believe in personal destiny. Yeah, I believe God wants to do something special for you, but I believe God wants to do something special for us. And many of you sitting in this place today don't even realize that God is about to do far more in and through your life than you have ever dreamed or imagined through this church. Far more. Far more. 
we start talking. Listen, I'm going to tell you, I'm crazy. My wife's like, don't, don't do the whole where you talk about everything. No, I'm like, why not? Why not let this place be the place where people who have experienced divorce come back to renew their vows? Why not let this place? I know this, this area has a booming um, hospital situation, evangelical. I'm like, oh, I see what y'all did there. Healing, thank you, God. But, but why not the Lord send every sick person in the region into this space so they can get touched by the power of God? Can I tell you the reason I'm preaching about this today? Is because I'm tired of when sick people come in, we ask God this. Lord, would you guide the hand of the surgeon? You mean to tell me I relinquish God who is in control of all things, who created those hands? I, I'm asking him to touch the hands instead of asking him to heal this life? Are you kidding me today? Oh, it's become our cop-out. Lord, would you touch the hand, servant's hands? No, God, would you touch this servant and whatever cancer is in their body, whatever brokenness is in their body, we speak to it and we command it to go in the name of Jesus. See, people don't want to talk like that anymore because they've allowed disappointment to become the filter in which they live their faith. God didn't answer any prayers over here, so I guess I'm just going to have to be reasonable and try to make it so that I'm not disappointed and God's not disappointed. Am I talking too much in here today? Okay, let me tell you my experience with students. Students, whoo, students are not easily turned by disappointment. Let me tell you why. Because if a young man likes a young lady, he will DM her till the cows come home. What do you like? DM, direct message, okay? I had a young man in my student ministry. This is a true story, people, who he liked this young lady who did not like him. I'm like, son, you need a word from God, okay? He liked her. She did not like him. And so this young man proceeds to send her a message on this thing called Instagram, right? And she does what women of God do when they know their value. She blocked him, okay? So he, she blocked him and he wasn't upset. He wasn't sad. He just messaged her on Facebook. I said, glory to God. Look at the consistency. She blocked him on Facebook as well. Snapchat, oh, you know it figured out her Snapchat from someone else, sent her a message. She blocked him on Snapchat. I said, son, that's three for three. You got to let this go. At what point does this become stalking, okay? You know what this young man did? He messaged her on the Bible app. You version. I said, that's a different type of crazy. You didn't just try to get into her life. You stuck into her prayer closet with God and tried to open the door. Son, that's crazy. She comments on a verse. You're like, yeah, I also were in, was impacted by this verse. That's wild. He, I, but I use this young man as a, as a focal point today just to prove this, that when we actually want something, when we're actually willing to go, man, we don't allow disappointment to dictate us. I have so many young people, oh, they want a car for, or they want something from mom and dad. Hey, mom. Hey, dad. Hey, mom. Hey, dad. It does not matter how many times you say no, they are not deterred. Yet people come into the house of God, ask God one time for something, they don't hear God or he doesn't do it, and all of a sudden he's not good anymore. Are you hearing me today? So far more requires consistency and discipline and not being afraid of looking foolish. Let me read to you some accounts of people who saw far more. Are you ready? Isaiah chapter 6, verse 2. All the way, I'll just read verse 2. Heavenly creatures stood above him, said Isaiah. Each creature had six wings, not buffalo wild wings, just like real wings. <laughs> Each creature had six boneless wings with dry rub on them. I'm joking. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, God. Heavenly creatures stood above him. Each creature had six wings. They used two wings to cover their face. They used two wings to cover their feet. And they used two wings for flying. 
Isaiah, you've been watching too many sci-fi movies. What are you talking about? Are you kidding me? You saw creatures with six wings, two wings to cover their face, two wings to cover their feet, and two wings to fly? Can anyone else verify this story? But Isaiah saw far more. Watch this, Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 10. He says, Ezekiel says, As for their faces, each had the face of a man, the face, all four had the face of a lion, on the right the face of a bull, and on the left um, the face of an eagle. Oh, and all four had the face of an eagle. Let me read that one more time. As for their faces, each had the face of a man. All four had the face of a lion on the right and a face of a bull on the left. And all four had the face of an eagle. What are you talking about? Stop eating Taco Bell before bed, Ezekiel. This is not things that people say. But he saw far more. Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 12. Their entire bodies, including their backs, their hands and their wings, were completely full of eyes. That's creepy. Come on, church. As they were on four wheels, yeah, I'm like, listen, his mom, you know, when she had him, she just, whoops, got him. He dropped on, Ezekiel, what are you talking about? But, but these are people in the scripture who saw far more. What am I saying today? Is that God has called us to see far more. He's called to see, he's called us to see greater things. And we need to stop waiting for other people to understand before we start believing what God can do. You don't have to understand what God spoke to me for me to believe it. I don't need anyone's affirmation. I got heaven's affirmation. I don't need anyone else to okay this. God spoke it to me. I'm standing on it and believing it. I'm going to see far more. Okay, let me just give you a few points to that, and then I promise I'm done. Here's number one. My imagination isn't intimidating to God. Ooh, my imagination isn't intimidating to God. Watch what Paul says. He says, God can do more than you ask, think, or imagine. My imagination isn't intimidating to God. Friends, I wish I was taught this. I was taught be reasonable with God. Ah, he's busy. He's holding the whole world together. He's got a lot going on. Be reasonable in the presence of God. Ask for things that make sense. But I suggest to you when they make sense, they don't make faith. Don't be reasonable in the presence of God. Oh, all the stories that you and I are inspired by that we read about, ooh, they're people who are asking God for unreasonable things in his presence. You know what is so funny to me? One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Joseph. And I want you to hear what Joseph says to his brothers. Joseph says to his brothers that are already a little irritated with him because they think that their dad likes Joseph a little bit more. He did. And Joseph tells his brothers, he says, you know, guys, I saw the sun, the stars, and even the moon bowing down to me. That's what Joseph said. You're like, the moon, there it is again. Yeah, maybe that little girl wasn't so crazy. He said, I saw the stars and the moon and the sun bowing down to me. <sighs> what are you talking about? He just sees far more. Far more. Can I be honest with you? As I listen, I'll tell you, George, I love to eavesdrop, especially on people's prayers. Oh, I, I have no problem. I was sitting next to my lead pastor one time. He was praying. I was like, what is he talking to God about? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have no problem. And most of the time when I hear people pray, they pray for things that, God, that would happen whether God moves or not. They're asking God for things that I honestly believe are insulting to God. Your imagination isn't intimidating again. Look, I suggest today that many of us have a vivid working imagination because we always imagine things going wrong. Oh my gosh. We imagine ourselves, man, what if that doesn't work out? What if they don't like that? 
What if they find out about this? We're so busy imagining what could go wrong. When are you going to imagine things could go right? When are you going to imagine yourself whole? Imagine yourself healed. Imagine yourself free. Imagine yourself ministering. When are you going to see it? When are you going to imagine this church with four and five and six services because you've done the heavy lifting of inviting people into the house of God of every kind, color, and creed and they're surrendering themselves in the presence of God. When are you going to imagine a bigger building and more faith? When are you going to imagine Milton and Lewisburg walking in harmony? What are you going to imagine? I'm telling you. Your imagination is not intimidating to God. Let me show you what happens with imagination. And, and I'm sorry, I want to cut this sermon short because I don't want to go too long. But hear me, 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4 will tell you and I all we need to know about how we function today. It's of this woman who meets a prophet named Elijah. You know the story. And her and her son are about to die. And so she's like, you know, I got enough for me and my son. We're going to eat this last meal. And uh, she meets a prophet. And he says, go collect all the jars. You know the story. Go get, go get all the jars from every neighbor that you can. Get as many jars as you can. And as long as there is a jar to fill, there'll be oil. So you know what she does? I imagine she did this pretty quick. I mean, it's a very quick story. So I don't know how many jars she got, but the Bible says that she got as many jars as she could. Oh, I'm sorry, not this wasn't, I'm mixing two stories. This is a story of the woman who had to pay off a debt because her son had her son or her husband had died, and now her and her, or her son owe this massive debt. That's the story. I'm sorry I mixed that up. So, mind you, he says, go get all these jars. The oil's being poured. And as long as there's an open jar, the oil will flow. Well, what happens is quickly, the oil stops flowing. Why? Because there's not many jars. And this woman now has enough to go pay off the debt and still have a little left over. Can I tell you, that story frustrates me like no other. Here's why. Because this woman found herself in a position of poverty. Right? She was in a position of poverty where she could not pay a debt that she owed. The prophet gave her a word from God. He said, go get as many jars as you can. What I'm suggesting to you today is that woman got as many jars as she could in that area, but she didn't think bigger. Because here's the reality. She had enough money to pay off her debt and have a little bit left over, but she could have created generational wealth if she really would have listened to the prophet. If she would have saw far more, she wouldn't have just got all the jars in her neighborhood. She would have went to another neighborhood. She would have went all over the city. She would have went all around the state and gathered every jar so that that oil would never flow. And she could have just freed her debt. She could have paid the debt of the whole city. She could have been richer than anyone in the world. But see, she didn't see far more. As long as there was a jar, the oil will keep flowing. So the problem isn't does God want to pour out? The problem is we don't bring enough jars. We're not, we're not resilient enough. Yeah, yeah, I, I tapped everyone in my entire neighborhood to come to church, but I'm not gonna stop asking. Yeah, yeah, I've been praying and believing for that miracle for six years, but I'm gonna still keep asking. Yeah, yeah, I, I, people see, they see that I have a sign that says, love God, love people on my desk. Had it there for three years. But what about exhausting all options and tapping in and not getting burnt out and saying, God, I, I believe you can do this. She could have been the richest woman in all the region, but she just got enough jars. She didn't get all she could, she just got enough. My imagination isn't intimidating Ooh, to God. Point number two today. God wants me to know he can do more than I can dream, so I must dream. Here's what Paul says. 
in the scripture. He says, in your wildest dreams. Come on, I pray today that everyone in this church will have an MLK moment. Thank you, God. I have a dream. (laughs) God loves it when we dream, church. Okay, let me tell you a quick story. I had a friend whose parents didn't have a lot of money, and their son was graduating from college. Parents didn't have a lot of money. Son was graduating from college. They said, son, whatever trip you want to go on, we will pay for you to go on that trip. So he considered the fact that his parents didn't have a lot of money, and he said, guys, you know where I'd like to go? the most magical place in the world, Disney World. I like to go to Florida. So he goes to Florida for a senior trip. It's incredible, amazing, loves it. It's good to go. Two years later, his sister graduates. They say the same thing to her parents don't have a lot of money. Hey, where do you want to go? She said, I want to go to Punta Cana. I'm trying to go have a good time in a tropical location. Her parents said, okay, perfect, we'll do it. And they got her trip and she goes and the older brother gets frustrated. You mean to tell me You sent me to Florida? You sent her to a tropical location? You sent me somewhere anywhere could go? You sent her somewhere where not a lot of people have been? And they said, son, don't get mad at us because you you thought, yeah, they can only afford this. You asked for what you thought was reasonable. She asked for what she really wanted. Don't be, don't allow the disappointment of life to determine what you're talking to God about. God says, I'm trying to send you into spaces you couldn't even imagine, request, or dream. But you got to be able to talk to him about that. This, My friend, he looked at his parents' situation and said, this is about as much as I think they could afford. Where his, his sister looked at the situation and said, this is where I believe God's sending me to go. Do you see what I'm saying? And then most of us sit in the seat of that older brother. I can't believe they did that. No, no, I can't believe you wouldn't ask for more. I can't believe you were just, God, I hope everything's good financially instead of praying for your kids to walk in the power and the authority of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? I, I can't believe you would pray, God, just, just protect us instead of, God, pour out abundant blessings so we can transform this city for the glory of God. God wants me to know he can do more than I can dream, so I must dream. This is why I think Jesus asked people, who were clearly in situations that were easily to identify, what do you want me to do? You know the stories? Like Jesus sees a man with a withered hand. He's like, uh, hi, what would you like me to do for you? Um, if I was there, I'd be like, Jesus, I think it's his hand. <laughs> it's his hand, God. Right? Jesus shows up to a blind man. He's like, hey, what do you want me to do for you? Like, um, son of God? His eyes, obviously. He wants to be healed. Why is Jesus always asking people who clearly have an issue what they need? Because he needs them to dream. He needs them to confess, God, this is what I want you to do. This is what I'm believing for. Every time I read the scriptures, I just ask myself, what am I believing God for? I never want to stop working that faith muscle. What am I believing him for today? What are you believing him for today? He says, what do you want me to do? And now this person has to confess what they want God to do so now they can partner with God and they can see something supernatural take place. Okay, all right, all right. Maybe this is why the Lord took Abraham. I wish I could preach that for a second, but he took Abraham. He took him on the shores. And I like to say it like this. Anytime your relationship with God leads you to a beach, you're doing the right thing. (laughs) Takes him to the shores. Says, look at the grains of sand. Why? He needs him to get a visual picture. He needs him to dream, to imagine. That's what your descendants are going to be like. 
And if the sand's not enough for you, look up at the stars and see, this is what I'm going to do through your family. He needs us to dream. Again, last point today, God wants me to work, God wants to work more in me than he wants me to work for him. Ooh. You're like, brother, we have to get the gospel out there. I know. I know. Just let me, oh, this is so, this is so um, helpful for me today. God wants me, God wants to work, God wants to work in me more than he wants me to work for him. I say this today, right, because so many Christians are so exhausted that they can't stir up expectation. They're so tired, so drained. Paul says it like this, he did not push us around, but he worked within us deeply and gently within us. Did you catch it today? Paul says, if you want to see far more, you got to understand that God is at work in you deeply and gently in you. How does he do that? It's called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a perfect revelation to every Christian of how deeply and gently God wants to work in their life because the Holy Spirit is the most intimate part of who God is. A lot of people don't believe that. Can I tell you? Let me explain. In the beginning, the Bible says that when it came to God and humanity, he walked in the garden with Adam. That was wonderful. But he says that's not close enough. Fast forward to the New Testament, and he says Jesus, and Jesus doesn't just walk amongst us. He lives amongst us, right? Correct? He lives amongst us. But he says that's not close enough. Fast forward to Acts chapter 2, and now the Spirit doesn't just walk amongst us or live amongst us, but now he lives on the inside of us because he is the testimony of how God wants to get close to you and I. That's what he's doing for us, deeply and gently within us. He's not in a, okay, let me, let me slow down here. He wants to work in us. He wants to work in us. And the reason I say that today is because we, we're not making the connection that the spirit of God in us is what allows this faith to work through us. But it's also possible to love Jesus and miss the Holy Spirit. Let me read you a scripture. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. It says, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled across the hill country to a place named Ephesus, where he met some of the Lord's followers. Say, Lord's followers. These were Christians. These were people who were followers of Jesus, right? The apostle Paul goes to Ephesus. He meets some of the Lord's followers. He asks them, when you put your faith in Jesus, were you given the Holy Spirit? They say, no. They answered, we've never even heard of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, then why were you baptized? Paul asked. They answered, because of what John taught. Paul replied, John baptized people with what? John baptized people so they would turn to God. But he also told them about someone who else was coming and who they should put their faith in. Jesus is the one that John was talking about. After Paul heard, heard them say this, uh, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Paul placed his hands on them. The Holy Spirit was given to them and they spoke in unknown languages and prophesied. There are about 12 men in this group. So here's some followers of Jesus that the apostle Paul encounters. They love God. They're following God. They're faithful to God, but they miss the Holy Spirit. It's possible today. It's possible. But God uses the spirit to work deeply. And gently within us, First Thessalonians chapter 5 says like this, may God himself make everything whole and holy. That's what I was praying for you, that he'd make you whole and holy. Don't just settle for whole. I think I feel good now. God's help me. No, no, settle, get to holy. And don't just try to be holy. Make sure you're whole, whole and holy. Make you whole and holy. Put together spirit, soul, and body and keep you fit for the coming of our master, Jesus. What am I trying to say today? on this point, is that God, we know how to work for him. We're really good worker bees, but he is at work in us deeply. And we have to pay attention. That's what enables us to see far more. Okay, last part today. I've preached way too long. One, one last thing. Please hang on. If you don't get anything else, get this. 
God is not in a rush with me. If you are going to see far more, you got to get this last point. God is not in a rush with me. Stop comparing your spiritual life to the people around you. It will kill far more in your life. God is not in a rush with me. Paul says it like this. He works deeply and gently. See, when someone's doing something gently, they're not moving fast. God's not in a rush with you. Can I tell you how I know God's not in a rush? Because of the pace of Jesus. You're like, what do you mean the pace of Jesus? Like, read the Bible and look at the pace of Jesus. Watch this. Jesus meets the woman at the well who knows this story. Okay, they had to walk to get there. Theologians suggest they actually walk 50 miles out of the way so that Jesus could talk to one woman at one well. That's our God. He went 50 miles out of the way. Like, you got to understand, this was no Uber, no Lyft. But he is walking, people, just to talk to one woman at one well who was there in the middle of the day so nobody else would see her. That's our God. That's his pace. Watch this. <laughs> Jesus, 640 prophecies about him as the Messiah. And two times in the scripture, it references Jesus talking to trees. If you had 640 things on your calendar between now and the end of the year, and we saw you just outside talking to a tree, hi, I wonder how that sap is. We'd be like, excuse me, what is wrong with you? You have places to be, things to do, but this is the pace of Jesus. 640 prophecies, every single one of them fulfilled. Time to stop and talk to trees. He's not in a rush with me. He's not in a rush with me. Some of you keep looking at your spiritual life and getting frustrated that you're not as far as you thought you would be, but he's not in a rush with you. I don't know about you, this gave me a lot of peace. It allowed me to sit back into the arms of the one who loved me. I'm on your timeline. And by the way, his timeline is so different. Right? It's so different. A day is like a thousand years or something. A thousand years but a day. He's not on our timeline. The Israelites walk in the desert for 40 years instead of 40 days. He's not on our timeline. Abraham spends 960 hours in the presence of God before he heard what God wanted to tell him. He's not in a rush. Jesus had, Jesus, okay, oh my gosh. Jesus was here for 33 years, 30 of them in obscurity. Just cutting wood as a carpenter, building homes, working with his father, and then three years of ministry. He's not in a rush. He's not in a rush with you. And the reason we can't see far more is because we want to rush what God is doing. Somebody said it like this to me. They said, where you try to control what God does, where you try to control things in your life the most is where you trust God the least. He's not in a rush with me. And if you and I are going to sense the presence of God, we got to take on the pace of God. 640 prophecies. Maybe it's possibly time for you to talk to some trees. Maybe standing by those trees will help you see far more. That's what he wants for every single one of us. Worship team, you can come back up. That's what he wants for every single one of us.
Let me tell you this last story today. I, uh, <laughs> I had a friend, great friend, and um, I really, really appreciated him, loved him a lot. And uh, his, uh, his family took me on a shopping trip one time. Um, their love language was gifts. And so they were like, let's go shopping. I was like, I don't have any money. They're like, you're with us? I was like, oh, say not another word. So, you know, we're, we're shopping. And I'm picking out a bunch of stuff. I have no shame. I'm like, I like that. <laughs> that would look good on me. I look good in every color. Oh, my God. I'll take it all. Thank you, sir. God bless you. And as I'm shopping, I hear my mom's voice in the back of my head. Peter, you are broke. <laughs> Put it back. <laughs> no, nah, I hear my mom. You don't have money, son. So when somebody offers for you to get, just get one thing. Just get one thing. So I, without embarrassing myself, start to put stuff back so they can't see what I'm doing. Because I don't want them to be mad at me. I can't just come home with a whole new wardrobe. My mom picks me up. She's like, did you get your lunch bag? Okay, your backpack. Oh, wow, what are all these clothes? So I start to put stuff back. And Mr. Devane, my friend Chris's dad, comes up to me. And he goes, son, you have a poverty mentality. I was like, I don't know what that is, but it doesn't sound good. He was like, why are you putting stuff back? I said, because I heard my mom's voice. He said, I heard my mom's voice, and she would say this about this situation. He said, Peter, pay attention to what is happening right now. He was a man of God. He said, I told you to get anything you wanted to get. Do not allow past experiences, even with your mom, to determine what I said to you in this moment. Get anything you want. I said, Mr. Devane, you're going to have a 4-4 African lady in your, in your house in about two hours. She's going to let you know. He said, Peter, here's what you need to understand. Is that when you get an opportunity like this, I already spoke to your mom and told her that we felt called by God to bless you with whatever you wanted. Why did I tell you that story? It's very simple. Don't allow what you think, what you've experienced in the past to determine what you talk to God about right now and what you ask him to bring into your life. I know before you tried to pray for that to go away and it didn't, but what about right now? Some of us have been so comfortable attending church. I pray that you get a holy discomfort seeing far more and you never show up alone again. Some of you love to watch other people pray for other people. I pray that you're the one that starts doing the praying. Some of you are so good at clapping for preachers, but I'm suggesting it's time for heaven to clap for you because you're doing the things of the kingdom. It's not enough to hear the words of a preacher. You need to hear the whisper of heaven. Because if I'm the only one in this room that can hear from God, we are in trouble. Do you hear me today? Far more. Far more. I'm not going to allow my disappointment to dictate what I ask from God. I'm not going to last past failures to determine what I'm asking for in this present moment. And you could say all day long, I'm good. I don't need anything. God's been faithful. That's fine. But this is his will. Because when he does things in us and for us, he gets the glory and that's what he's after. So I pray today that you would see far more so that the glory of God can be spread all over through this region 
it says, the end of our text says, glory, glory, glory. Let me read it one more time because you don't believe me. Let me read it one more time. Just that end part. Glory in the church. Glory to the Messiah in Jesus. Glory down all through the generations. Glory through millennia. Oh, yes. Why is he saying that at the end of this text? Because that is the result of people who will see far more. Far more at their job, it's the glory of God. Far more in their marriage, it's the glory of God. Far more in their, in their purity, it's the glory of God. Far more in their finances, it leads to the glory of God. Far more when they're winning people to Jesus, it leads to the glory of God. If they will see far more, it will lead to more glory for the things of God. This is the way. I believe what he says. I don't need affirmation from other people. I don't need anyone else's stamp of approval. I believe it. I stand on it. And then glory. Glory in your marriage. Because you're going to see far more. Glory in your mental health. Because you're going to see far more. Glory in you not relying on substances. Because you're going to see far more. Glory in your relationship with kids. It's not just going to be you arguing. Glory. Why? Because you're going to see far more. The Holy Spirit's going to whisper to you about their future. You're going to see far more. And you're going to know how to steer them. Glory in this great church. Oh, I'll be honest with you. I'm thankful for everyone who's here today. But when I close my eyes, I see a room packed to the brim, not a seat open. Glory. Because we're going to start to see far more. Oh, church, what would it look like for you to see the glory of God in every area of your life? Let me help you one little step today. Don't just tell God about what's going on. Invite him into it. Oh God, this stinks. I hate where I work. This is good. No, no. I invite you in. Come and have your way. Help me to see what you're seeing. Prayer is not just giving God information, but an invitation. That's how we see his glory. That's how we believe in far more and see his glory. Stand with me today. Ah, apologize for preaching so long. I just really care about this. God, help my friends today. Help them to see far more. Far more for their family. Like, I pray some of you would see far more for your family. All your family has been ridden with anxiety and depression, disease and addiction. But would you see far more? Oh, there's a new future and it starts today. Come on, would you? You've been asking God to do something great through you. Would you see far more in your workplace right now? Maybe you work at a hospital or the prison in the area. What would it look like for God to do far more? Could you see 3,000 prisoners surrendering to the glory of God? Hey, let me let you in on some news. The same Jesus that died for you died for them. Oh, glory all through the prisons. Glory in your neighborhood. Some of us are addicted to screens and inappropriate, image, inappropriate images. Glory all over your phone. Glory. Why? Because you're seeing far more. The King of Kings is whispering to you about his perspective from heaven. Glory. Jesus, help us today. Help, our, help us to see far more than we've ever seen before. To not settle for what only we can see with our own sight and our own eyes, but to dream beyond anything we've ever experienced. 
Here's what I want to do today. I'm really simple. I'm, I'm done. But if you say, Pastor Peter, I need to see far more in my family. I need to see far more in my mental health, far more in my workplace, far more in my finances, or far more in the purpose of God on my life. Those five things.